All right. Here we go. Good throw, Nathan. Hit the mint. Yes, right. That's right. All right, guys, we're going to continue in our Christmas series this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to hang out in uh, Matthew chapter 1. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be on the screen here in just a moment as we read together. You know, my family is probably a lot like yours in that every Christmas season, we've got like a, a list of Christmas movies we have to watch, right? And, and some of those we've got to watch multiple times. And we have a movie that we always watch on Christmas Eve and, and, and all these kinds of things. And, uh, and, you know, one of the movies that at some point we watch, it's not kind of one of the big main ones, but one of the ones, you know, you, you have to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger, the classic one, you know, the, the little claymation one. And you remember, uh, who can tell me, all right, trivia time, who can tell me the elf's name that wants to be the dentist? Wow, that's impressive. That, I had to look it up. I couldn't remember. Yeah, so you remember in the show, remember the little movie, that Hermie, he wanted to serve. He wanted to be helpful. He wanted to work for Santa and help Christmas happen. He, he wanted to do all these things, but he couldn't find it in himself really to make toys. He wasn't good at making toys. He didn't want to make toys. That wasn't his thing. He wanted to be a dentist. But everyone laughed at him. Everybody made fun of him. He, that, that wasn't what you did as an elf. So in his mind, he thought that he simply couldn't be helpful in making Christmas happen. One of the biggest questions that I often get from people is, Brent, you know, I, I want to serve. I, I want to be used by God. I want to do something I have no idea what I would do. I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know how God could use me. I don't have a clue. I see other people doing these things, but I know that I can't really do what they do. And so I want to be used by God, but I don't know how. So often we think that we're not being used by God because we don't do these big, grandiose things. You know, we're not like Moses walking up to the ocean and parting the Red Sea. We're not like Elijah calling fire down from heaven. Or we're not like Billy Graham and, and the stadiums preaching to thousands of people. You know, or even sometimes we look at people who give so much of their time and effort and energy into running soup kitchens or running even programs here at our church and we see people devoting so much time and doing these things and leading, and we look at them and we think, man, you know, I really wish I could be used by God like that. You know, during the holidays, you might often see people who are going out of their way to raise money for underprivileged kids so they have gifts on Christmas, or seeing people help impoverished families have Christmas dinner, or people taking sweet treats or snacks to first responders who have to work on Christmas Eve. You think, man, I wish I could do something like that. And while all of these things are wonderful, I think the problem many of us face this morning is we, we are missing out on the joy of being used by God because we don't realize that there are a myriad, there are thousands of ways in which God could be using us and might is using us right now and very significant things that you don't see. 
You see, I think we have this innate problem in us that we see the big things, you know, the things that are noticeable, the things that get the credit, the things that get the applause, the things that get recognized, the things that get noticed. And we look at them and we think, oh, those are the types of things that I need to be doing if I want to serve, if I want to be used by God. We kind of always want at least a little credit. We don't really necessarily say that or think that, but we want people to see us serving. Like if you ever imagine yourself playing in the NFL, you I'm sure imagined yourself as the quarterback or the running back or you know Antonio Brown wide receiver making crazy catches. You probably didn't imagine yourself anybody from the Bengals because they're not very good, but you probably imagined yourself someone you know like from the Patriots or something. But whatever you imagine yourself as, you probably didn't imagine yourself as an offensive lineman. Do you know the only time offensive linemen's names get called by the announcers on TV? When the penalty or they missed a block, when they did something wrong, you hear their name. But if they do their job right, if they do what they're supposed to do, you have no idea who they are. They are a nameless person in the trenches doing work. You know, when you play football video games, for all of you play, play video games, It's not even an option to be an offensive lineman. You can't even do it. Because who would want to? But an offensive lineman, though he rarely gets the credit, you can't have a good team without one. Without a good offensive line, you just end up looking like the Bengals. I'm done. I'm sorry. It's too easy. (laughs) See, this morning... I want to take a look at the most overlooked character in the Christmas story. The most overlooked character in the Christmas story. A person who does all the right things, who does really honestly some incredible things, and who is used mightily by God, but a person we rarely pay attention to. A person we so often forget. Like literally in many kids' Christmas plays, I have seen the cows and the donkey have more lines than this person. The most overlooked person in the Christmas story is not the animals in the stable or even the innkeeper, but is Joseph. See, what Joseph does isn't flashy or thrilling. It's not something people stand to applaud. It's not, uh, we don't celebrate him or his name. His name is not recorded in the halls of men. Because to the world, significance is measured by Money and power and influence and, uh, and status. Significance is measured in how many social media followers you have and how many likes you get. Significance is measured by how popular you are or how good looking you are. To the world, significance is measured by how many people know your name and for how long you are remembered before you die. But the story of Joseph reminds us this morning that real, true significance, true meaning, is not measured by worldly standards. And Joseph's quiet and seemingly insignificant faithfulness gives us a great example of what it normally looks like to be used by God. You see, when we judge whether or not we're used by God by these worldly standards, there will be times in your life that God is trying to use you and you miss it. 
because you were looking in the wrong place. And because of that, we missed out on the blessing of being used by God because we are looking at it all wrong. We always want to be the quarterback when God's calling us to be the offensive lineman. Better than the Bengals, but I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. You see, I think being used by God actually might look different than what you think it does. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph, who is the most overlooked character of Christmas, and he is going to serve as a reminder to us that faithfulness to God might look insignificant to the world, but in the kingdom of God, it will matter forever. All right, let's read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. The words of our God say this, as Matthew was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Can you imagine your wedding day around the corner? Everything is being prepared. The invitations have been sent out. The catering had been ordered. All the plans have been made only to come and find out that your new future spouse that you are about to spend the rest of your life with has cheated on you. And to make matters worse, everyone knows it too because she's pregnant and you can just tell. That is the situation Joseph finds himself in. About to get married when he finds that Mary, at least he thinks, has cheated on him. He clearly thinks he knows what Mary did because she's pregnant. She she must have had an affair because it wasn't him. And before you say, well, they weren't married yet, so how could it be an affair? You've got to understand that in Joseph's day, when you were engaged, it was a a done deal. It was sealed. You were, to, to break an engagement, required a divorce in Jewish culture at this time. And so here's Joseph betrayed by Mary, at least he thinks he is, and, and he, you know Joseph, he's got to be angry and, and hurt, and he's just in a tizzy and questioning, and what should I do? And he's wrestling, and he's probably even praying, trying to figure out how to handle this. And we, you know, we don't know, the text doesn't tell us how, we find, how he finds out that she's pregnant. You know, does someone tell him, like, hey, did you see Mary? You know, uh, does he just see her belly? Does he put two and two together? Or does does she come and and try to tell him? You know, know, imagine that conversation. Honey, I need to tell you something. It's going to sound crazy, but you got to believe me. God got me pregnant. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, you know what Joseph didn't do? He didn't go, man, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. That's not what he said. I guarantee it. 
And so, and so we don't know how he found out, but, but we know that he is wrestling and he's having a hard time with this thing. And the question is, what is he going to do? How is he going to respond? He could have held a very public trial, you know, paraded Mary out into the street and had this big trial for everyone uh, to look at her and he could have humiliated her. He could have ruined her. He could have made her an, an outcast and a divorcee and disposed of her. But if he really wanted to, he had every right lawfully in Jewish culture. He could have paraded her after this trial into the street and had everyone throw rocks at her until she and her little unborn baby was dead. He could have had her put to death. So what is Joseph going to do? He's, got, he's about to get married, but his woman seems to have cheated on him. So let's find out what he does. Verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Notice it says that Joseph was a just man. Now you might think that to be a just man would mean that he would follow the laws. He would do what is just, what is right. Follow the customs and do all these bad things to Mary. That's not what he does. It says he's unwilling. He is unwilling to put her to shame. He doesn't want her to feel the shame of this. And so he is going to simply quietly divorce her. You know, he, he can't marry her now. He can't stay with her. So he's going to quietly divorce her, let her go on with her life so that she doesn't receive shame. You know, but... Think about us. Like, how, how do we normally deal with stuff like that? How do you normally deal when someone you love hurts you? We usually don't respond like that, right? We usually go, well, I never loved you anyway, right? Oh, well, I, need, I, I, don't, you, I deserve better than you anyway. You know, that's how we typically respond. We get defensive when we say things we don't mean to, to, to protect ourselves. But Joseph, being a just man, is the type of man who though he is feeling betrayed and hurt, he doesn't lash out. He doesn't repay evil for evil. He has been wronged and yet does not take it out on her. He doesn't get payback. Instead, he shows mercy to her. And dare I say, forgiveness. Forgiveness because he, instead of taking out his anger on her, bears in his own heart the weight and hurt of this betrayal. And so he's just going to let her go. You see, it is in this quiet moment when there is no one else around, when, when there are no crowds of people to cheer, when there is no applause or recognition that Joseph is used by God mightily to spare the mother of the Savior of the world. So Mary is spared for an offense she never actually committed, but Joseph doesn't understand that. God uses Joseph to show mercy to Mary and in doing so protects this baby. You see, being used by God more often than not looks less like parting an ocean and looks more like showing mercy and forgiveness to people who have wronged you and hurt you. See, when you know someone who has wronged you and hurt you, do you know, honestly, do you know the way we try to typically deal with it? I think our favorite way to deal with it is just sweep it under the rug to not deal with it. 
when we're hurt, when we're wronged, when we're upset, instead of going and, and wrestling and figuring it out and working it out, instead we just pretend like it didn't happen. We just sweep it under. We don't want to talk about it. And, and what ends up happening is, is you're always around that person and, 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 and things are just awkward and you both kind of ignore the situation and it festers and it grows until you're bitter and eventually you blow up. It's uh, over Thanksgiving, you know, there's always family drama at Thanksgiving. And um, my little niece fell down the stairs. And, you know, there's like 300 people in this house. And this stampede of people come running. Because <laughs> you just, all we heard was boom, 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 right? And they're like, what is that? And my sister takes her outside and she's freaking out and she's trying to make sure she's okay. And a couple minutes go by, I poke my head out and I'm looking. And as I get ready to say, hey, do you need anything? She goes, would you leave me alone? I'm like, sure. And then it was awkward, and there was this tension. It was like, good grief. On the drive home, she called me, and she said, you remember when I was outside with the baby, and, you know, I kind of yelled at you? I was like, yeah. She goes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And I was able to say, it's okay, I forgive you. And in that moment... When you're able to speak those kinds of words and say, I forgive you, it is, it is hard. It is hard sometimes to own up, hey, man, I did something wrong. And it's, sometimes it's hard to say, yeah, I forgive you. But do you know what happens when you do that? It might be hard. It might be scary. It might be emotional. It, it might be terrifying. But it is a, a moment where there is great bonding and healing and renewal and it's almost otherworldly and out of body experience sometimes because at the heart of the gospel we have a god who is forgiving us and god shows us mercy and forgiveness when he is when we have wronged him and when we forgive other people and we show mercy like Joseph does right here man i tell you what it can transform our relationship me and my sister are now closer than we were before because she freaked out and she apologized and I forgave her. It is an, a beautiful, amazing thing what Joseph does. In the Bible for it calls him a just man. And I think that is what it looks like to be used by God. There's no credit. There's no, good job, Joseph, man, that was great. There is no praise of men. His name is not heralded and recorded in the halls of honor. But in the kingdom of God, Joseph's name and what he did will last for an eternity, and it had a rippling out effect that did more and more good than he realized, and the same is true for you. What it looks like for you to be used by God isn't like parting an ocean. It looks like forgiving people who hurt you, but let's keep going. So that's the first thing that we see that it looks like to be used by God, but the next, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will forgive his people from their sins. See, God in his kindness shows up and fills Joseph in on what's been going on. It's like, oh, she wasn't crazy. All right. And so that God tells him not to divorce Mary and to have the wedding. And while once he knows the truth that Mary didn't cheat on him, it's, it still doesn't make it easy. Like, imagine this for a moment. 
Imagine one of our darling youth down here came up onto the stage and, uh, at some point in our service and, and, and began to share with us about how God was working in her life. And, you know, God has been so good to me and he has used me so, in so many ways and I've been so blessed to be, to be able to do this and that and, and, and I'm so excited. And, and you know what? I'm getting ready to be a mother. I was like, yay, that's awesome. And she starts talking about how thankful she is that she's going to be a mother. And, you know, it's just so great that I'm going to be a mom. And I was still able to, you know, keep all my true love weight promises and, and to be pure and to remain sexually pure until, uh, you know, one day when I get married. And, but, you know, that's great. We'd be like, who vetted this? Who let this girl up on the stage? Say some nonsense. Either she's lying or she's got some mental problem. We would all look at her and just think, there's something wrong. Joseph's family and the people in his town and his friends and and the religious people would have looked at Mary the same way. This girl's nuts. If we went through with what God was asking of Joseph, if he went through with it, He is risking everything. God has told him now, hey, listen, this child is from me. But if Joseph still marries her, he is still risking almost everything. He would have risked losing his good reputation. Everyone would have seen Joseph as, oh, there's Joseph. There's that guy that got hoodwinked by that girl. There's that guy that got tricked by that little girl, that little manipulative girl. Everyone would have thought, Maybe he really did know. Does he know? I mean, his reputation would have been ruined. He would have lost financial security. I mean, and they end up running to Egypt, fleeing to Egypt. And, and at this time, he just didn't move to Egypt. He would have left his uh, a vocation passed down to him by his father of carpenter. He would have left all the security of his, of, of his financial situation. He would have lost relationships. Almost certainly, friends of his would have looked at him and thought, yeah, man, I can't be seen with you. And probably even some of his family would have been like, yeah, Joseph, you're going to need to not come around for a little while. And definitely keep that promiscuous woman out of here. People would not have associated with him. And so here's God saying, keep Mary as your wife. But if he does, he will lose almost everything. And so what does he do? Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth. You see, he wakes up from this dream where the Lord tells him these things, and immediately Joseph obeys. Joseph risked and gave up so much to be faithful to God, and God used him to keep Mary safe, to be her husband, to love her, to serve her, to care for her. No matter what everyone else said, no matter what everyone else thought, no matter how much money he was going to lose because he was going to lose this business, it didn't matter. He did what the Lord told him to do. And this is true for us. When God calls you to do something, when he wants you to be a part of his plan, it will cost you. It will be hard. You see, to follow God, to be used by God, goes against the grain of the world. To be obedient to God, when he calls you to do something, it will cost you relationships. It will cost you money. It will cost you being out of your comfort zone. 
It always is going to have some sort of earthly cost. For example, I have some good friends in Kentucky who felt called by God to adopt a little girl from China. And uh, if you don't know, to adopt a little girl from China costs upwards of $40,000. But they felt called to do this, and so they were trying to figure out how to, how to make this happen. And, and, and they thought, well, maybe if we sell our house and downsize. I got to tell you something about their house. This man had the biggest man cave of a garage I've ever seen. And he was that woodworking kind of guy who just had the coolest garage with all this stuff in it. I'd go up there. We'd work on cars. And it's just like, man, I was talking to him like, you really want to lose that garage? And he's like, no, man, it's the best thing in the world. And they had this really nice house. And, and so mom, I'm starting to think about, well, maybe we can do some fundraisers or some bake sales and start raising some money. You know, maybe we can do something to raise money to help you, uh, you know, follow God's plan and adopt this little girl. And that's what, not where his mind went. His mind went, no, it's time for me to sacrifice something I love to do what God has called me to do. And so they downsized their house, took the money that they made off of it, and went and bought this little girl and made her part of his family. And then God called them to do it again. And they downsized it again. And then God called them to do it again. <laughs> and so now they have a household of five, four, five little girls, not all little, three from China, and they are more blessed and happy than they've ever been, and he doesn't have that awesome garage anymore. See, to be used by God will cost you. It will cost you things you love. It'll, it won't be easy. It'll cost you friendships and relationships. It will cost you. But the good that is done for the kingdom of Christ and the blessing that you will receive far, far will outweigh the cost on earth. See, it's never easy to be used by God. It will always cost you something, but it will always be worth it to be obedient. You see, most of the time, when we talk about Joseph, we often talk about what he's not. We talk about how he's not the biological father of Jesus, right? And we believe that. We believe that 100%. He's not Jesus' father. There is not one strand of Joseph's DNA that would have been found in the blood of Jesus. They are not biologically related at all. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and Mary was indeed a virgin. We believe that. But instead of focusing on what Jesus didn't do, namely name be the father of Jesus, let us focus on what he did. In verse 21, the angel told them, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Now that matters for two reasons. One, his name Jesus because his name uh, literally means God saves. But two, in this day and age, it was the right of the legal father to name the baby. And so God is telling Joseph to adopt and raise Jesus as his own. And so he does. You see, Jesus would have said, Abba, Daddy, to Joseph first. Jesus, as he was growing up, would have obeyed Joseph perfectly as the law required. And Jesus claimed him as his dad. Jesus follows Joseph in his vocation. Jesus becomes a carpenter and Joseph takes him under his wing to teach him as his father taught him. Jesus would have learned and memorized the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, taught to him by Joseph. And later, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and he quotes the Bible to fend off the evil one, it would have been the verses taught to him as a boy by his father, Joseph. 
Joseph raises Jesus as his own. He cares for him. He loves him. He teaches him. And he treats him as if he was his full son. You see, Joseph had faith in what God was doing. He had faith in God's plan. He had faith in the way God was using him. Do you know how the book of James in the New Testament would define faith? James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, James is the one who tells us that faith is not just what we do up here. It's not just what we believe. It says even the demons believe and shudder, but faith is action. The whole book of James is about how faith is not just in your head or heart, but it's shown through what you do. And James says, if I can't see your faith in what you do, that means there's no faith in your heart at all. And one of the many examples that James gives for what faith looks like in practice is that verse, caring for widows and orphans. And Is that not what Joseph is doing? Caring for Mary, who without him would have been a widow, and caring for Jesus, who without him would have been an orphan. You see, what makes all that significant and matter is when you understand who James was. James, the guy who wrote that verse, was the half-brother of Jesus, the other son of Joseph. You see, James is writing about what he saw firsthand. As he saw his dad's faith lived out and practiced in the way that he loved and protected his mom, Mary, as he raised Jesus as his own. You see, being used by God is less like parting an ocean, and it's more like discipling your children to teach them to love Jesus and to serve him. Being used by God looks more like loving your wife so much that your kids grow up knowing how a woman ought to be treated by the way you loved her. Being used by God is not usually or even most importantly about big, dramatic, crazy things Being used by God happens in every little day things, the things we take for granted. It takes place when you pray around the dinner table. It takes place when you read your Bible together as a family. It takes place when out of love you discipline your children to teach them right from wrong. It happens when you forgive someone or show them mercy who have wronged you. It happens when you take time to serve someone else. See, you are being used by God all the time and you... I don't think you even see it. For several of you in this church, you're being used by God because you have taken children who are not born into your family and you have given them your last name and said, you are mine and you will always be mine. I don't want you to miss out on what God is doing in your life because you are looking to be used by God in some big Moses-like way. Because that's just judging how to be used by the standards of earth. Open your eyes and see the million little ways that God is using you and can use you even more if you would just recognize him calling you to deeper and deeper faithfulness and obedience. So let's not be concerned with recognition. Let's not be concerned with credit or having our our names recorded. Let's be insignificant, actually, in the eyes of the world and sacrifice everything to advance the kingdom of God. Because in so doing, we might not be significant in the eyes of the world, but our obedience to God will do such good that it will ripple out throughout eternity. You see, maybe like Hermie the Elf, 
You can see how God is using everyone else, but you don't think he could ever use you. Stop looking to the way God is using other people and ask the question, where has God placed me? How has God uniquely gifted me? And how do I hear his voice and obey what he's asking me to do and to be faithful to him? Right where I am. It won't look like it does for everyone else. It might not garner much attention or praise. But if that's the case, that if what it looks like for God to use you is not something that we celebrate or cheer or notice or people give you credit for, if that's the case, if that's what it looks like for God to use you, then you are in good company with Joseph, a just man whom God chose out of all men to be the adopted father of God's one and only son. You are in good company with him. Let's be faithfully insignificant and let's change the world. Let's be used by God where he's placed us. And it may not matter out there, but it will matter in eternity. And actually that sounds quite significant to me. So let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and... We know that there are some people in this room who can't be used by you because they don't belong to you. We know there are men and women in this room, maybe kids in this room, who cannot be used by you because they don't belong to you. They're not yours. They've not understood and believed and trusted Jesus as their Savior. And and if that's you this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity to come talk with me or one of these guys on the side up here and and we would love to show you how, he, how you can be made new. See, Joseph is only able to be the guy he is because he had faith in God and trusted him. If you're here this morning and you would say to me, Brent, I so want to be used by God. I want to make a difference. I want to use my gifts. I just don't know what that looks like and I have no idea. And I, I see how other people are being used and I just feel like I'm stuck over here and I don't know. Would you just come up here maybe and get on your knees and pray and and say, God, would you show me how to be faithful where I am? Would you show me how to be obedient to what you're calling me to do where I am? Maybe I've ignored some things. Maybe there's some forgiveness I need to offer. Maybe there's some things I need to do with the people around me. Maybe there's some ways I can serve that I haven't realized where it's your hand at work, but now I see it is. And so God, would you show me how to do that more faithfully? Wherever you're at this morning, God, I pray she would give us all the courage to, to be honest with ourselves and where we're at and to come and trust you or to come and say, God, use me right here. I'm not worried about other people seeing it. I just want to be used by you. I want to make a difference in eternity in my children's life, in my spouse's life, in my friend's life, and in, this church, in the life of this church, and in the life of the school I'm at, in the life of my friend group. Use me in those places and the little things that seem like they don't matter, but in the, in the eyes of eternity, they are hugely impactful. Without Joseph, Mary would have been on her own. She might not have made it to Bethlehem. Without Joseph, when Herod came to kill all the babies in Bethlehem because he was afraid of this king, there would have been no Joseph to help him escape to Egypt. Without Joseph, Jesus wouldn't have learned to be a carpenter. Without Joseph, he wouldn't have had a father to teach him verses to fight off the devil Without Joseph, Jesus would have had a hard time. So God sent Joseph. 
that in the eyes of the world is a nobody. But in the eyes of Jesus, he calls him Abba Father. It's the little things that change the world. So God help us to be faithful and to do those. God give us the courage to respond how we need to right now. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray all his people said. Stand and sing.